When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means postgame Ohio State with a 54-10 win over the Iowa Hawkeyes. We are going to talk about C.J. Stroud on the offense. We'll talk about how well the Ohio State defense played. Um, maybe a little Iowa stuff in there. But Nathan, off the top, it, it is interesting to try to get a handle on this. And I even saw our guy, Joel Clapp, riding down the elevator after the game, after doing the game on Fox, first Fox game. It was like interesting. Like, again, it's like, hey, like, I think Fox is like, oh, thank God. We finally got our hands on Ohio State again. They had the whole setup. The big noon guys, Urban Meyer and Matt Leinert and Brady Quinn and Reggie Bush and all those guys were there. And he was like, oh, you know, Joel's kind of like, well, you know, but it's like said, so that's a good defense, right, about Iowa. So I was sort of asking this week, like, oh, we know the Iowa offense is fake. Is, is, it, is the defense fake too? And I think you push back on that a little bit. The Iowa defense is, I think, has some pretty good players and does some pretty good things. So the result, Nathan, was kind of a weird two and a half quarters for the Ohio State offense, and then an explosion. More good, more bad from the Ohio State offense. How do you try to break that down, Nathan? That's a great question. I would still say more bad based on their own standard, but uh, Iowa caused a lot of the bad. I think Iowa stepped up and played well, and I give them credit and those guys credit because, frankly, that half of the ball – Things are going so bad on offense that you could start to see guys just quit. You could see guys checking out, and I don't think that happened. I think Iowa's defense, I I was joking when I said this, but we were standing kind of there in the upper atrium waiting for the elevator, and I was like, is that like the best defensive performance ever by a team that got beat 54 to 10? Like, you could make (laughs) the argument. Like, I mean, they, Ohio State, they kept just taking the ball. Like, Iowa did not want the ball. Iowa kept, it was like a flaming turd covered in Ebola. They couldn't get rid of the ball fast enough. And it kept giving it to Ohio State inside the 40-yard line. And Ohio State kept turning short fields into long field goals. Like, it was bizarre because that they just couldn't get any traction offensively. And when you look deeper into the numbers, you know, C.J. Stroud, the numbers end up looking fine. He had the long period in the second half where he was 9 of 9 for 180 yards. And that got rolling, but Iowa shut this running game down. Like Ohio State did nothing on the ground. A team that had been rolling pretty well, and I thought it was looked like it was going to run the ball well early. There was a couple runs in there. Trevin Henderson had a nice couple runs, and then they put in Mayan Williams, and immediately they created a huge hole for him, and he ran through it for like I don't know eight or ten yards. And I I commented to Steven at the time like, oh, this is kind of you know this thing's going. And then kind of from that moment, Ohio State couldn't do anything on the ground really the rest of the game. So. I think Ohio State's offense probably, I shouldn't probably definitely comes out of this game and is going to look at this film and see plenty of things that need to be corrected. 
DJ Stroud, there's like a pre-pick and after pick. So you take that pick out of it. He was 10 for 17 yeah, for 105. Pick, J- Jack Campbell pick, Jack Campbell pick on the first throw of the second half. Yep. Right. So, so that's like the dividing yep. line. So go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So the 17 passes before that pick 10 of 17 for 105 yards. And then the 12 other passes he had in the second half, 10 of 12 for 181 and four touchdowns. Whatever you want to chalk it up to, whether it was like a lack of rhythm, I, I, I call BS on the whole, oh, we were struggling because we were having short fields and we're used to, you know, being able to drive and all that. I'm calling BS on that. And we're going to be calling BS on a lot of things Ryan Day said as we get into this pod, but whatever on that. And, but CJ Stroud figured it out. And that's sometimes what happens with this passing game, whether it's been CJ Stroud or Justin Fields is sometimes teams make Ohio State work for it, passing the ball. And it takes a little bit of time for the, for Ryan Day and the quarterback to figure it out. But once it does, they do figure it out. You get explosive touchdown passes. So that's, that is what it is. The running situation, bad day for Donovan Jackson. The first year starter, really the, the probably the worst game he's had as a starter. No, definitely is the worst game he's had as a starter. But also, Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson didn't really do a good job today. I was like started rewatching a little bit as we were preparing to, to do this pod here. Uh, for starters, it seemed like sometimes they were running some run plays for Mayan Williams that clearly Travion Henderson probably should have been running, especially when you're getting outside of the tackles a little bit because Mayan Williams is a little bit more physical than Travion Henderson. But both of them had a problem today hitting a hole and instead were bouncing outside where they didn't need to bounce outside and creating these situations where instead of maybe getting three or four yards, you end up getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage. So as bad as the offensive line was in the run game at points it's just as much on these running backs not getting the job done either three of 13 on third down for ohio state today which is not very good iowa was one of 13 it's like one of those things like as soon as you don't feel Mm -hmm. good about an ohio state offensive (laughs) stat just compared to iowa's offensive stats yeah but and i don't i don't have the breakdown in front of me maybe there was some more like third and medium third and longs than usual which contributed to not having a great third down rate so i do want to give some flowers to the iowa defense because I did go to Iowa post game, and so I got a read from they brought in like five players or so before they brought in Kirk Ferentz, brought in Jack Campbell, brought in I think it's Joe Evans, the guy who had the the sack yeah. and the fumble on C.J. Stroud. So a couple things that seem to be specific to this Iowa team that not every defense in the country will be able to do, but certainly the best ones might be able to do. One was um, Jack Campbell. I think is really good. He was he's the pre preseason Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He made uh that pick, which is just, you know, he was sort of asked about that. And he sort of was like, I just like dropped in coverage. And that is often, right? When you see you'll see quarterbacks get picked, it's because they they don't see the linebacker underneath. They don't anticipate the linebacker underneath. And a lot of times when you work the middle of the field, the way you work it is you get it in front of the safety over the linebacker. But Jack Campbell's good enough, he got deep and he made the pick. So just like, you know, we I wrote a lot about, like last year, Micah McFadden, the Indiana linebacker, really stood out in Ohio State, had a game plan for him. There's just some Big Ten linebackers that stand out, and Jack Campbell's a legit real dude. So it wasn't a great throw from CJ, but I'm not sure most teams have a linebacker who's going to make that play. I thought Riley Moss, the Iowa All-Big Ten corner, also mattered because I think, Stephen, you pointed this out early, and I think we could see this. They just put him out on an outside receiver and said, you take mm-hmm. him. I think it was Marvin a lot. It wasn't, it, he yep. wasn't following Marvin. So if a Mecca was on that side, it'd just be a Mecca. So like, but he was like yeah. to the field, I think most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so 
they just let him do that. And then they clogged up everything else because the safeties didn't have to worry as much. They could sort of hang a safety over Jackson in the slot and that kind of thing. I thought that mattered. But then you saw them work it. For instance, the 79-yard Julian Fleming touchdown pass, they had a Mecca and Marvin together on the opposite side, I think on the field side. No, on the boundary side. And they had two corners and a safety right there. So they had three covered defenders for a Mecca and Marvin, because why wouldn't you? And then they had Julian out by himself on the wide side of the field. And there was a safety there. And, and Ohio State ran like a little like barely ran play action where like CJ stuck the ball out and there really wasn't a running back there, but it was like fake play action. But again, as people point out, your play action doesn't have to be great. It just has to sort of, you don't have to run the ball to set up play action. The safety sucked up a little bit. And then Julian ran by him and wound up one-on-one with like their third best corner and smoked. So they set up a situation to sort of free up Julian there. Go ahead, Steven. But what, uh, to, to pair along with the play action, I think part of the reason why the play action, he didn't like sell it all that hard. Cause if you watch, Julian also has a point where he's selling a curl. So he stops hmm. right in front of a linebacker that helps freeze the safety. Cause it's like, okay, not only is it maybe a handoff, but even if it's a pass, Julian Fleming's there. So let me sync up a little bit. And then obviously just like a good wide receiver does, he sells that route and then he takes off and Julian Fleming actually runs pretty good post routes. Uh, that's one of his better routes. And so, once again, he scores another touchdown. I thought Riley Moss did a good job on Marvin Harrison today. Out, even with the crazy catches, Marvin had the one where he got caught over like three or four people, and then he had the touchdown catch. Uh, he had a, a seven catches for 62 yards. That's eight and a half, 8.9 yards per catch. That's a good day for a corner because you kept him under a first down per catch. So, I thought uh, Marvin had some cool moments because he's Marvin Harrison Jr., but I thought Riley Moss did a pretty quality day on a guy who is very quickly becoming one of the best wide receivers in the country. So once again, kudos to Iowa's defense. They did a really good job on the Ohio State today. It's just Ohio State's offense is what it is. And then the last one is Joe Evans, again, who had the, the seven points, the only touchdown that Iowa scored. He came in and talked post-game. He's a defensive end. He said pre-snap, the tackle next to him gave him an indication that was run a loop behind me right? They hmm. run a game here, that it was just a signal they do to each other. And you could see that both Paris Johnson at left tackle and Donovan Jackson at left guard wind up going with that defensive tackle and the defensive end loops behind. That's Donovan's responsibility, but he gets sucked in with the DT there and it happens. And the result is a wide open lane for Joe Evans to hit CJ, pick up the ball and score. And like a funny little story, he it almost was like, it's one of those things. Everybody likes their own team. These are like 20 and 21 and 22-year-old young men who are just trying their best in this dangerous game. So Joe Evans, that that end where they scored on, that's where the Iowa parents were sitting. You could see like the little block of yellow down there. So he said his parents moved to Iowa City. He said he goes to his parents' house for dinner every Thursday night. And he said his dad was joking like, hey, like, hey, we're going to be sitting down there. If you score, come over and give me the ball. So he scored. He's like, he's a defensive end. And so he right. scores and he starts <laughs> running over there. And he's like, oh, man, but if I give my my dad the ball, I'm going to get a penalty. And like the defensive coordinator is going to kill me. So he and his dad have this little hand signal that I, they give to each other before every game where they look at each other and like they kind of like pat their chests. So instead, he ran over to his dad and like gave him like a chest thump in Ohio Stadium 
as a defensive end who just scored a touchdown to put his team ahead in front of 105,000 people. They have a plan for if him as a defensive end scores. So the so parents even know how bad this offense is. Oh, yeah, no, no, they know the defense <laughs> is the best chance for Iowa to get points on the board. So it's like they always have the thing they do pregame. They have, like, the signal. But he was sort of joking around, like, hey, because the Iowa parent section is down low, right in an end zone. And then, it, like, it happened. It happened perfectly. So that was a little loose by CJ. Just because a guy hit you doesn't mean you necessarily should drop the ball. It's kind of a weird play. But Donovan got beat there, Nathan. But, like, when you watch it, he's a second-year player, first-year starter, you know, defensive lines are running games on you sometime. Like it wasn't like he got destroyed one-on-one. It wasn't like he, like it's, I guess it's a missed assignment, but it wasn't just like, oh, I don't know who to block. It was like, oh, wait, no, they're running. And Iowa, like the guys just have it worked out. Phil Parker's a good defensive coordinator um, in that moment. So I could, I just want to point out like Riley Moss is good at his job. Jack Campbell's good at his job. That was a situation where Iowa's defensive line was good at its job. And not everybody's like that. So I want I want to make sure we credit because I was down talking the Iowa defense and I came away pretty impressed with the Iowa defense. Again, I could see it as an off season, like a hundred days of football, Nathan, where it's like you start with all the teams in college football history who shut a team out. What was the best shutout? Then the the defense that allowed two points. What was the best defense ever played and only allowed two points? And then you get to fifty four points, and this would be very competitive with any other fifty four point effort <laughs> because they were right there. And then it exploded on them, but it's a good defense. And honestly, it's only 47. It's actually only 47 because True. Tommy Eichenberg had the touchdown, uh, equalizing defensive touchdowns today. Listen, w- w- the thing that you had said, theorized, was not that Iowa's defense was bad, but that Iowa maybe had just never seen this, had never seen a passing yeah. offense like Ohio State. And that f- going back to the entirety of the Ferentz administration, and you could cross, they never faced Drew Brees. They never faced Russell Wilson. Like the way that the schedule worked out, they just missed him. And I thought that was actually a pretty astute observation. The What carries forward, though, is that maybe this defense is so good that it can come up with a plan for that and execute it. And I thought that they did for the most part. Ohio State, you look over the course of this game, like how many times did Ohio State like really drive? And I agree with Steven that this nonsense about, well, our offense, our defense just kept giving us the ball in too good a field position. Like you came in leading the nation in 30 yard or more plays. Like you can only do that if you have the full length of the field to work with. You, I, I don't, whatever. Uh, we don't necessarily have to, I guess, go down that rabbit hole tonight, but I, I, I I gave I give Iowa credit, and I think you have to give enough credit that again, if there's any team out there, I don't think that Iowa's combination of coaching and personnel is so unique that another defense can't give Ohio State similar problems. And when that happens, it probably won't also be attached to the worst offense in the country, which amplifies the problem that that defense is creating. Like, let's just call, I mean, it's, it's what happens when Ohio state plays Georgia is Iowa really that much better than Georgia. Cause I know Georgia knows how to move a ball uh, more than 2.7 yards at a time. And, And I, so I agree with that, but then I think I also agree that they're at 26, 10 at the half and 26, 10 after CJ throws that pick 
But then I am encouraged by the 28 nothing in the second half because they had no real they had one real drive. They had one drive of more than 25 yards in their first nine possessions. They had a 10 play 75 yard touchdown drive. Yep. All their field goal drives were short fields. They had a bunch of other short fields where they didn't convert. But then there are four touchdown drives in the second half. One's a short field off the McAllister pick. Four plays, 15 yards. The other three drives, four plays, 55, three plays, 90, which is 79 on the Julian Fleming touchdown, eight plays, 40. Again, they're not gigantic, but I think I would take away, well, I could see a game against Georgia or Clemson. Those two teams keep leaping to mind for me as like, okay, offenses, pretty darn good defenses. I could see a game against them playing out like this for the first two and a half quarters, Stephen. But then I maybe think I could also see the final 22 minutes playing out the way they did today, which is it's clunky, it's clunky, it's clunky, it's clunky, explosion. All of a sudden, you put a Mecca and Marvin on the same side. You put Julian out by himself. You get matched up on the second or third best corner. Boom. You have a drive where a Mecca makes a play. Marvin makes his fingertip catch. A Mecca beats a guy for a touchdown. Boom. I think that against very good defenses, even better than Iowa, Stephen, I think that might be able to be replicated. Yeah, I, I won't be shocked if we see this happen again for like the way Ohio State's offense played out. I just don't think it'll be 26 to 10 at halftime the next time it plays out. Maybe it's 17 to 13 just because it is a more competent offense that the, the defense is going against where it's not so much that, you know, the offense was incompetent. It's the fact that the offense was both incompetent, but then also kept very quickly giving the ball back to Ohio State. They were literally just playing like hot potato all game. And so yeah. it's, oh, Ohio State was struggling to score after they got the ball and at the plus 35. Okay, cool. They just got the ball back 15 seconds later. Oh, they're struggling again to score and they got it at plus 45. Well, they got a field goal. Okay, well, here, here's a three and out for you. Here's a, here's a fumble for you. Here's an interception for you. Whether it's Clemson, I know DJ got benched today, but DJ's had some quality moments as well, or it's Georgia, and we've, we have joked about Stetson Bennett more than any podcast on the planet maybe, but he has still showed competency that they'll put together some drives that are going to last longer than two plays before they give the ball back to Ohio State. So the score might look different at halftime where it's 26 to 10 at halftime, but it really felt more like it was 13 to 7 if you're playing a real team, just because of how clunky it was at times. Yeah, I saw that Ari uh, Wasserman, friend of the pod, uh, former friend of the pod maybe, uh, tweeted at one point, like, what would this score be? No, no, he's 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 a former member of the pod, current friend of the pod. Okay, there you go, there you go. All right. Uh, He tweeted at some point in that game, what would honestly like what would the score be right now if Iowa just took three knees and punted every time? <laughs> because at least then they would be making Ohio State drive. Now, Ryan Day and CJ Stroud would tell you, well, we'd be up even more because then we'd actually have some room to run our offense instead of this clunky pinned in thing that they were blaming for not getting any first downs. So we can't go too far down this hole because they won 54 to 10. And that's not anything you should ever really just assume is going to happen. I just think that there – I don't think you saw um, exploitable flaws in Ohio State's offense that can't be fixed. I think it was probably just a good maybe foundational game to start the second half with to then now go out and correct those things and potentially 
come out at the other end of this with something even better. I would just like to state for the record that the most outrageous accusations against my character have certainly been levied on this podcast. So I think you're right with that, Stephen. I would say this, and I was trying to look this up. I was like, oh, does this remind us of the Nebraska game last year, which is kind of like a clunky game in the middle of the year last year. Last year against Nebraska, they only scored 26, but they gained like 480 yards. Mm -hmm. And today they only gained 360 yards, but they scored 54. So in trying to compare that, I was surprised at their yardage from a year ago. And that was the game without Garrett Wilson, right? So I don't know like which is... I guess this is better, right? Because you win by points, you don't win well, by yards. It, like it's I, like I don't, or like how would you? And I actually even wasn't at that game last year, Nathan. How would you compare? Is that an apt comparison on any level to Nebraska a year ago? A little bit. Um, the Nebraska offense, even with all the issues that they had last year, was certainly better than what Iowa was putting out on the field. I mean, it, everything yeah. is everything is better than that. Sorry, I'm trying to look back at, la- at that game last year. Today, Ohio State averaged 5.8 yards per play, which is kind of fine for most teams, but they haven't been most teams. They've so been- let me interrupt just real, real, real quick, real, real quick, because I was looking at this. I was starting to write when this was happened. Right after CJ threw the pick, their average yards per play was 3.5, right, which is exactly. terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's then they good. got like a- total 5.8 by the end of the game, because right. after that, they must have averaged 10 yards per play. So anyway. Right. Right. Well, what happened then was they just averaged what they averaged. That's what they have. They came right. in leading the nation in yards per play. So it yes. clicked in finally. But up until that point, and that's, that's half of a game where Ohio State's offense was kind of just like what every offense does against Iowa. They were just getting the ball in such a mm-hmm. favorable spot, and you add a defensive touchdown onto that. I mean, they scored 19 first-half points against – and. So I think if this game had been only an if they'd only scored 19 points in the first half of this game and Iowa's offense was doing anything at all, we would be talking about this game in a very different way. I just so I, I looked up last year they averaged 5.9 points against Nebraska. 5.9 yards per play against Nine Nebraska. yards per play. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. More plays, more plays in that game. But but let me say this. Let me say this, Stephen. What would we be doing if they had done for the entire game what they did for the first two and a half quarters? And they still mm-hmm. won because Iowa's offense is so incompetent. It doesn't matter. They would have won 38 to 10 instead of 54 to 10. I think we might be freaking out like, oh, my God, the Iowa defense basically shut them down and they couldn't throw that well and they also couldn't run at all. How are they going to win a national title? Yeah, it'd be. I, I don't know if our playoff pick would be shaky, but for me saying, I, I mean, I picked Ohio State to win a national title this year, I'd definitely be backing off that because then it's a situation of this team did it. Like, if Ohio, let's just say Ohio State wins this game 30 to 10 instead of 54 to 10, that is, that's a 17 to 10 game against Georgia. 
going yeah. into the fourth quarter. And then it's a whole different situation where it's like, all right, the offense hasn't figured it out yet. CJ just threw a bad pick and he's still throwing some weird passes where another one might get picked because he's not on the same page as their receivers. And Ohio State can't just like run the clock out and just get out of here with a trophy because Travion Henderson and Maya Williams aren't playing well either. But here's the other My side inst- of it. Good, good. Uh, just real quick, but the other side of it is all the other teams that we think can plausibly win a national championship game this year have sort of had a game like this. But and a lot of those didn't end up fifty-four to ten. A lot of them ended up like yeah. much more yes. score equated, twenty to nineteen, Bama, Texas. Yeah, exactly. Now Texas is is a, a better team right now than Iowa is. But point <gasps> taken that that there's they come on. Actually, what might what would game. what would Iowa Quinn have Ewers done today? today? Quinn Ewers know, on yeah, Iowa's Quinn defense Ewers. would have beaten Ohio State today. I think you Quinn think? Ewers. I don't know Quinn against Iowa. Yeah, because Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers did not have a good day against Oklahoma State today. He didn't have a good like, day at all. It, okay, I, I, I would but, say be like a it would be like a funny weird game. It's just so to your point, Nathan. It's so hard to evaluate Iowa holistically because they literally have the worst offense in college football. And it's like it's yeah. not close. So then it's like, well, what about the well? What do you do with the worst offense in college football? It's like you don't do anything. It's horrible. So like. Iowa's only going to score on defense. What do you do? So point taken, point taken. Go ahead. I don't. I think I was done there. <laughs> I think I was just pointing okay. out that <laughs> I think I was just pointing out that that it, it probably means something. That I mean, Georgia had the weird game against Kent State and some other yeah. weird games, and Alabama has lost but had some other weird games in there. But we think Alabama or Georgia could plausibly still win the national championship this year, and it's, it means a little bit of something that Ohio State had such a weird, clunky. Strange game, but still won fifty four to ten. So my my instinct, my instinct is to give them somewhat significantly more credit for working it out than be worried about how the first two and a half quarters went. And part of that is from the view of I really did come around on just respecting what Iowa does defensively. And I guess you are right, Nathan. That I think. If I felt like I was underestimating Iowa, if, if really Worley was saying was like they'd never seen this before, I think Iowa would say, and they did. Like a lot of the questions was like, hey, you guys played pretty darn well defensively for two and a half quarters, and you still gave up 54. That's the thing that's hard for anyone to wrap your head around, that it is not like they got steamrolled every second of the game, but they still gave up 54. I think it might be a pretty good work it out kind of game against a defense with some pretty darn good players that's well coached and Ohio State still scored 54 and like that's the main takeaway I think my main takeaway might be 54 against a pretty good defense in a nutshell is is what would what's your nutshell takeaway Stephen in a nutshell your one sentence takeaway as it relates to Ohio State's offense today well Weird, but effective. What? What do you? And we we need to talk about the the run game, and we need to talk about Jackson. Yeah, Nathan, what's yeah. your nutshell? Ah, uh, hey, I don't know. <laughs> nutshell yeah, is it's it's, well, it's it's two nuts, which is hard because there's a first half nut, a second half nut. I think what I just just what I said before that this this is now your new baseline. You you saw today the kind of performance that it's going to take to win a national. To, this is the kind of defense you're going to have to beat to to win championships. And 
only because of what your defense was against the worst offense in the country was that obviously good enough. So that I think should just give Ohio State it should just invigorate this team a little bit or not not invigorate it but like give it some um, sense of purpose for the next couple of weeks to figure some things out. That's not that's more than a nutshell. That's a big nut. That's like a coconut. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever eaten a coconut? Have you ever eaten a coconut? Just, just, like, a coconut? just like raw. Yeah, I was on my honeymoon. Yeah. You just you know coconut I took a machete store. out there with me so I could just you know chop chop the coconuts open and drink the milk. Yeah. That's what Ohio. That's what Jim Knowles did to Brian Ferentz. <laughs> Chopped his coconuts open and drank the milk. Or um, I, don't know, are you you know, I don't know. I think I think Kirk Ferris just like showed him where all the coconuts were and just gave them to him for free. I don't. I don't think Jim Knowles had to do much to take over that land. Remember that that's, movie? That movie where, where the guy's like, "I drink your coconut milk." Yeah, it's like that. That's how. That's a completely viable excuse for TSA, by the way. Like you've got a machete in your luggage, and they're like, "Hey, what's the deal?" And you're like, "No, I'm just slicing coconuts on my honeymoon." Yeah. And they're like, they're "Like, oh, sh- say no more." There's yeah. a meme, and it like shows this security guard who's just like fake patting everybody and letting everybody in. That's Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz. <laughs> <laughs> just like letting everybody in. Here, All you right. take the ball. You take the ball. T- Here, son. Take these coconuts through TSA. It'll be okay. All right. One quick break. We'll be back. I'll talk more about the Ohio State run game, Jackson Smith and Jigba, next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, 614-350-3315. It's how you get to be a text subscriber. Stephen, what are we to make of what happened with Jackson Smith and Jigba today? I believe three targets, one catch, seven yards. Last incompletion that was headed his way, he kind of came up limping a little bit on the sideline, walked along the bench, kind of limping a little bit, and didn't come back in. What did they say? What do we make of it? So I asked Day what happened, and he said that Jackson Smith the Jigba was on a pitch count, and that was pretty much it. He had reached the number of plays he was going to play that game, and so they shut him down for the day. And then was this like 15 questions later, Nathan follows <laughs> up. And basically his his entire question was like, is that the answer you want to stick with here? Because I'm going to give you a chance to like give me a better Are one. You sure, you want to yeah. lie to us? Like, you like can that's, lie to us. You can lie, but is that the it's lie fine. you want to tell? And then he says he doubles down on the lie. He's just like, yeah, yeah. It's a pitch count. We had him in for like 20 or so plays, and he was you know hitting that line, and so we 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 shut him down. Now, I'm going to call BS on that's why he was done at that exact moment because we all saw him working out whatever he was working out, whether it was his hamstring or his knee or whatever. Something was going on with his leg. Clearly, that was not completely planned for him to be shut down after you just sent him on a slot fade. That's not at all how that works. But if you want to tell me he was on the plan was to have a guy who has not played in four weeks to be on a pitch count, there probably was some of that into play, but that's not why that was his last play. It's also like I, f- I felt a little bit like we needed uh, Tom Cruise as Lionel Caffey from A Few Good Men in there because it's like it's like you could just line up all the ways that this doesn't make sense. Like it was nineteen to ten at that point in the game. So you're gonna tell me that you squeezed all of Jackson Smith and Jigba's plays into the all the to that portion of the game, but if the game had still been that close and he had been healthy, he just wasn't gonna play. And I'm pretty sure that he came out after halftime, and I haven't seen the clip, but told the broadcast that he probably wasn't coming back in the second half, right? I don't think he said definitively. He didn't, he didn't, I don't think he pulled the pitch count line at that time. 
And I don't believe that Jack Smith and Jigba actually came back to the sideline in the second half of the game. I didn't so I, I, oh, I didn't look for I him. I, I didn't look oh, for I him know. constantly. Somebody okay. said that they did if, at some point show an 11 on the sideline, but then that and talked about it like if it was Jackson Smith, the Jigwood, but it was actually CJ Hicks, I think. So <laughs> I don't know that one for, for sure. I haven't gone back and rewatched, but just a lot of fishiness there. And I, as I texted our subscribers after the game, as I was in that press conference, I don't, I don't sit here right now thinking Jackson Smith, the Jigwood for sure plays at Penn State next week. I think with as many times as C.J. Hicks has been mistaken for him. We're oh, my Lord. C.J. Hicks, Hicks Nick Jigba yeah. next year. Um, C.J. H.N. All right, so people listening here, hey, I'm going to listen to Buckeye Talk. Woo, 54-10, big win for the Fighting Bucks. Uh, looking like the best team in the country. Hey, how's the best receiver in the country? Oh. What do you think, Stephen? Like, what, should Ohio State fans be thinking to themselves, man, I don't know what's going to happen with J.S.N.? the rest of the year or is this no biggie the answer is not i don't i don't we'll, we'll see it, it, it might have been something tweaked in a way where the real answer to that question is at least from my, our perspective jackson smith the jig but tweak something and he's already been dealing with something so instead of making it worse we're going to shut, shut him down right now and nip it in the bud instead of doing what we did against toledo where he tweaked it again and then we threw him back out there and he made it worse so that which now, yeah, and that's fine. That's fine if you want to be cautious with that guy because he is this valuable to your team, and it is a soft tissue injury. It's not like it's a broken ankle where like you you've, it heals up and you're good. Because Jordan Hancock's been dealing with a lower leg injury too, and he didn't have any issues today. He's been after they they, they kind of slow, slow played that as well, and it's paid off because he looked pretty quality out there as well. So I. Maybe this is something small and it's not that big of a deal. And then when we walk in there for our interviews after practice on Wednesday, we see him doing some whatever extra work and it's as normal. And then against Penn State, things are back to normal with him. But I get why they want to slow play it with Jackson Smith the Jig, but it makes total sense. And if I'm going to cite the score, I should also cite the fact that right after that happened, I believe, is when the Eichenberg pick six happened. And now it's 26 to 10, and Iowa is not doing anything with the ball. So there would be some evidence to, uh, if you think there's anything wrong at all to hold him out, I just don't buy for a second that he had reached this predetermined threshold and just magically happened to do it on that route that he ran full speed downfield and then walked to the sideline and stood next to the trainers. There's a part of me that wonders if it might not be like, see it for the Michigan game. Well, like I've talked about waited. that, yeah on this guy and waited till after the buy. And then he came back and he tweaked something. And it's like, what you can't play next, next week. You're going to rush him back for Northwestern, Indiana, and Maryland. What, like what, what would the point you can't? Yeah. And I, I understand that, but it it can't just like, you can't plop that kid in a Michigan. Michigan's good. You can't, you got, you can't plop him in. You got to rev him up and you've got to, you got to give him a runway to catch a rhythm there. You can't, and so I, in theory, yes, he's talented enough to probably do something to just like wait to the Michigan game, but you can't actually do that. Like you can in a video game. You can't just plop a kid into a game like that. So even I, if you I, fine, maybe he doesn't play against Penn state, but he's got to play some level of football against Indiana, Northwestern, Maryland, some combination of those three games leading up to that Michigan game, or it's going to be very hard for him to just like throw him in the Michigan game and be like, Hey, go be Jackson Smith. the Jigba. I've made the Jalen Waddle so comparison I, I think, before. Like, 
Mm. But even then, it's like it's not like Jaden Waddle made like one real big play in that national championship game. Oh, he, and wasn't he was himself. A, he wasn't. Yeah, and then he was like Part, immediately was hurt, limping though. as soon as he made the play, and it yeah. was like, oh, he shouldn't be out there. So that's not even like the best. That should not be the approach that Ohio State takes with this. So, but and I, so I don't. I mean, Jackson's not as hurt as Jalen Waddle was. No, right? I do think Nathan like. Does the offense also need it? Because I think we were getting some people were watching it and being like, I don't know. It's kind of a, it was kind of a little weird. It didn't exactly feel like now. So the clunkiness, right, Nathan? Is it, well, like, was Jackson Smith and Jigba's return any part of that? Because I know some people were like, oh, you're forcing well, the ball. It's like, you only got three targets. What do you mean they're forcing the ball? I thought they weren't forcing on the ball. I almost thought like, it's like, hey, Jackson Smith and Jigba's back. Like, Maybe get him the ball a little bit. But it's like while he was in there, the passing game wasn't great. And then I think, coincidentally, as soon as he came out, the passing game took off. <laughs> but what did we think of just generally the way that they worked him back in? I thought there were some forced throws today, but they weren't forced to Jackson Smith and Jigman necessarily. I'm thinking of and, – and one I don't know if this was caused by his return. There, have, So obviously there was the – very obvious miscommunication by Stroud between Stroud and Igbuka in the uh, Michigan State game. I thought there was another one on the first one of the first throws sure. of this game. It's, it's the where, second throw of the game, I think. Yeah, second throw of the game, and uh, another throw where that Stroud was lucky to not have picked. There were a couple of those today. There was the one that he did get picked that was negated by a, a penalty, and there was at least that one and maybe one other that I thought were right on a defender that, that didn't get picked. And so listen, they're they they get it right often enough against most of their schedule that it's not going to matter, but it's just one of those things that in the back of your mind, I, I think again, that's part of what I was talking about before in my, uh, my coconut roundup was that there's a lot still here that they can get to. I was a little surprised that, that things were this clunky when they had so much time to prepare. I was good and Iowa had the same two weeks to prepare. So give them that. But the way we've talked about CJ Stroud and his processing and the way that he can take apart a defense and the way he steadies film, I sort of thought that it would look just crisper and that they would look more in control of this game than they did. But the way to get back to what we started to talk about, the way that, oh, Iowa just shut this run game down, played a factor in a lot of that too. They they talked a lot about how they saw a lot more one high man covers and maybe they they were preparing for. So like if you're over preparing for one thing and you end up seeing a whole different thing that can play into that as well. I thought Jackson Smith the Jigba would get the first two targets of the game. Even if it was something simple just to get the ball in his hands, just to get his feet, get him a feel out there. And it, it wasn't really until I think the seventh or eighth pass of the game that they even targeted him. I I don't think him being thrusted back into this threw off the passing game. I just think Iowa did a very good job at confusing looks for CJ and Ryan Day and throwing some stuff out there that they maybe weren't expecting. But then also, we keep coming back to it, the run game was so bad, and that takes away a lot of stuff because now Iowa's kind of dictating some things a little bit, at least early on they were in terms of like – you can play a one high safety and because CJ Stroud's a little off on his throws, you can live with it. You don't have to have two safeties back and be as afraid of the big plays as they were maybe in the second half. And so, say so let's before hold on one sec. I just before we get into the run game, because we need to get into it, right, I just yeah. want to make sure when we it's just staying on CJ, what uh, five more seconds. 
it did just seem like he was hesitating a little bit. There were he, he, mm-hmm. you could almost feel him not be a hundred percent sure of what he was seeing at times, maybe being surprised. Just what was the general vibe of Ryan Day or CJ post game trying to talk about that? Steven, you just talked about it a little bit. Like, is that just again credit to Iowa changing up looks, giving CJ some stuff he wasn't expecting? Well, credit he to Iowa. Go ahead, go ahead, Nathan. I was say he acknowledged that. Yeah, they they threw the one high and some cover three at him. But I thought he said the way I heard him say it was he anticipated that. Like he knew that that could was going to be in the bag of tricks. A couple of things I think happened here were well, one is again let's give Iowa some credit. Like there aren't many d- Big Ten programs that recruit and develop defensive backs better than Iowa does. Like, they know how to go out and find these guys, and they turn them into something. That's why they have Xavier Nwakba, by the way, and Ohio State doesn't, although, you know, local guy, whatever. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, they get uh, – Iowa gets defensive backs that could play at Ohio State, and you can't say that about every Big Ten program. You can't say that about a lot of Big Ten programs. So that alone, guys who just get on the field and do their job in the back five is a significant thing to, to try to – match up with Ohio State and then there were also a couple of plays I thought where like the, the, the interception for instance that to start the second half where Stroud admitted that he the, the pressure came in on him he couldn't make the throw he wanted to make so he went to his second read and he just forgot basically that they hadn't the way that they had run that play it wasn't going to take the coverage out of that area and he was throwing into an area that was occupied I think they, they just again because Iowa did some things up front too. It, it you know, he had to make some plays with his legs that turned it, and he's been doing that more this year. But Iowa just did enough little things that they can add up a little bit. That first of all, his explanation for the interception that is a one eighty from the explanation he gave the last time he had an interception to open up a second half, where it was just like. I mean, I just got to make a better throw. I could have threw that any time, and in the moment, it sounds kind of pompous. But then you start thinking about that throw to Jackson Smith, the jig against Indiana last year, the throw he had against Marvin Harrison today, where it's like, hmm, maybe he can make that throw. He just didn't pinpoint it the same way, but that's a little bit, it, it was, that's interesting to hear him be more. Yeah, that's my bad. I probably shouldn't have made that play. And here's X and O and how I got into making that play. But I thought I would did a good job of making CJ think twice when he's not used to thinking twice. And he was doing it in a lot of places. Like there was a third and like, a third and short situation where not to get into like CJ should run all the time, but this was like the most obvious, like, Hey, CJ, just go get the yards and keep the drive alive. But because you're talking about a quarterback who has been second guessing for most of the game and wasn't really in a rhythm at that point outside of like, forget the, where they started on the field. It's the CJ Stroud is a rhythm quarterback and this is kind of a rhythm offense. So we don't have those things in place. You get a quarterback second guessing himself and he ends up, making some bad reads and making some bad throws or not taking the obvious thing. And there were some situations today where he didn't take the obvious thing, the way that we've grown accustomed to seeing him do. That was the other thing he said about that pick was that in retrospect, he should have, instead of throwing it, he should have either taken the sack, which I thought was not something CJ Stroud says very often, or I should have run and got a couple yards, like taking a Hmm. very small gain, like just, you know what I mean? And so again, maybe that is a part of a learning process because frankly, just how many times it's been best case scenario. It's been a month and a half since they were challenged this way defensively by anybody. So it might just be some muscle memory that needed to get jogged here. 
and he's just not running three for minus 13 then right rush right. yards yeah. is kind of weird but he's just he's just not he's just but he's zero threat he's just zero threat to run but right even now. which is like yes he is a which he's is, which i think not is a fine threat. but, but he's he yeah, he zero he is like overall zero. it's fine because he does what he does so well that it yes. makes up for it but he is still had those moments where he has gone and gotten those five or six yards that are necessary. Very just like very it is seldom. not something that a defense worries about at all. No. Which is fine. No. no. But just makes it like well, you gotta read it. You gotta read it, yes. diagnose it because you're not gonna do that. Maybe it's fine. So so but maybe if you don't respect it at all, it's not fine. Well that's the thing. I mean it's like I, I, you don't have to do it, but maybe you have to be a threat to do it. And like he's not a threat right. to do it right now. Right. Like I, I I'm never gonna advocate for him to run. But no. clearly, nobody is worrying about him running. So, which, and I think that's fine. But like, you have to yeah. deal with the consequences of that, which is you're not going to suck anybody up. You're not going to have right. anyone like you're never going to have a spy on him or anything. You're always going to have everybody in coverage because you can drop eight and not be worried that he's going to take off. Yeah, so so which then that, you just have to deal with that reality. That middle linebacker can always push back because he doesn't have to worry mm-hmm. about Stroud running the ball. Absolutely. Which is why it's like, if you're not going to run, you better be on point with your throws. Just it's like just with a Justin, smaller margin for Right. Him. And with Justin Fields, it was the other way. If you're going to run, you better make something happen with those legs. And Justin Fields made something happen with his legs. And so it's just the opposite side of that coin. And so when and, CJ's on, he's on. But when he's not on, Jack Campbell gets an interception. And after the pick, not running, completed his next nine passes. Right. Like Book. Agbuka yes, Harrison yes. Agbuka for the touchdown, seventy nine yards to Julian Fleming. Like it, he then he did it. So right. like he doesn't he doesn't have like the margin for error that you can watch with Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young doesn't run, but Bryce Young like will, will run sideline to sideline behind the line of scrimmage to make a throw. He just did it again today for Alabama. <laughs> and CJ actually had a player two like that today. I think more than he had all year, but that's just not CJ's game. So then the margin for error, like you've got to be more precise, and then he usually is. So then it's usually fine. Let's talk about the run game. Generally speaking, I like, so Notre Dame is like, well, they couldn't really throw it. And then they ran it down Notre Dame's throats and they won. And everybody was excited about that. A lot of people were because they established the run. It had been a problem last year. Hey, look at them being physical. I would rather it be this. I'll take this. Like, hey, they couldn't run. Fine. And then when they needed to, they dropped bombs on people in the passing game. That to me is a better solution, Nathan, than the Notre Dame solution. So I want to like preface saying they couldn't run today with, well, then they threw when they needed to and they scored 54, 11 for 38 for Travion, 10 for 19 for Mayan, which is the craziest thing. He had a 13-yard run. His nine other carries went for a combined six yards. He basically had one effective run today for Mayan Williams. It was weird. Was yeah. that a touchdown run? I'm I'm not freaking out about it because they scored 54 and they threw the ball to win and that's what they have to do to win the national championship. Well, it was uh, for mine. It was a 13 yard run and then it was a two yard run. So that's one more positive run that we know of. So the other eight went for 14. No, the way it went no, for the other four. eight went for like five or four. Yeah, four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I agree with what Steven said before though, and he seemed to be the biggest. Um, what's the opposite of a beneficiary? The biggest the detriment, like they kept them. <laughs> they kept making him play very horizontal, and I didn't understand why. 
that as much as I've been someone who has been more on the Trevian Henderson camp than Mayan Williams camp, there's definitely an effective way to use Mayan Williams. And I didn't think that Ohio State was doing it. But there was also like there was the first. So Stroud threw that interception to start the second half. And then Day did one of those things where like all of a sudden now he's just not doing the other thing that didn't work. Then they ran the ball like I think three or four times in a row. And almost like, yeah, and punted. And it's almost like, well, we have to run the ball now because we threw an interception. I I didn't. And I'm sure he's going to tell me that it was situational and that was the looks they were getting, whatever. But uh, it it's just one of those other nights where they, again, at the end result, 54 to 10, but it, it, I, they've got to be able to solve some of these problems at the, at the point, I think, because if you, or maybe they don't, maybe they're always going to have the other thing. No, 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 I'm not going to let us do that. Maybe they don't. Yeah. I'm not going to let us do that. The other thing will always be that efficient because it's, if when one thing wasn't working, the other one kind of was. I, I'm not gonna let us do that this year because we did that last year, and then, oh, maybe it won't. But then it ended up being like maybe this thing needs to be fixed because three straight runs against Michigan, and you can't get it for, and you can't get a single yard out of that. I is the run game actually fixed, or were they just playing teams who couldn't, who they were able to just blow off the line well, of scrimmage with ease? So that was the question that I wanted that I thought this that this game might help us answer was so many teams were dropping seven or eight and letting Ohio State prove yeah. that it could beat them on the ground. And would they run into a team that could do both? Could you run into a team that could drop in coverage but would be strong enough in their front six, seven, however many they're using to gum it up a little bit? and make Ohio state at least work to get those yards instead of gashing them out. And Iowa did more than that in this game. They were still causing a lot of problems in the past game, but they were shutting off the run game. I think it was, if you adjust for sack yardage, it's still uh, nothing. Those are the two things that this week and next week we're going to answer as far as Ohio state's offense had some problem last year. Did they actually get fixed or not? Because both of these teams, Iowa and Penn State, have some guys in the secondary who can hold their own and actually might be better in some, on any, any given snap than these Ohio State wide receivers. So you're going to have to run the ball. And there were some times today when Ohio State had to run the ball and they couldn't do it. And if it's the same thing next week, then I don't know if this run game was actually fixed or not. But but they couldn't run it, and Iowa did have guys who could defend the receivers, and then their offense exploded in the last twenty right. minutes. Right, but also I was, like, but also Iowa's offense kept putting the defense back on the field every fifteen seconds. That's not going to happen with Penn the State. time of possession was basically even. I mean, Iowa was terrible in time of possession, Fair. about thirty to thirty today. It wasn't like it was forty to twenty, and that the defense was gassed. Right? I mean, they, they yeah. I mean, because Ohio State kept giving it back. They had like there were like eight possessions in the first four minutes of the game. It was unbelievable. Like nobody, there was nothing yeah, in the beginning bad. of the game. That so, was really bad. I mean, the idea of like, hey, we have a pretty good front six or seven. We also have a corner, right? Penn State's going to have that. You're going to put Joey. I think Joey Porter Jr. can be out there and do what Riley Moss did. I'll take this side of the field, clog up the other side. We'll get some four-man pressure. We'll have our our linebackers play well. They have some good linebackers, just like Iowa has good linebackers. I think like the the if I think Iowa might have shown like Ohio State a formula. Excuse me, Penn State a formula, right? So it's like, hey, hey, Penn State. It's us. It's Iowa. Hey, guys. Hey, James. Hey, Kirk. How's it going? Hey, 
we got a formula for you to stop Ohio State's offense. Oh, great. We could really use the formula. What's the formula? Well, put a corner out to the field, let him cover that, clog up passing lanes, and then just play stout up front and shut down the run game. Awesome. How did your formula work? Uh, we gave up 54. 47. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I don't want your, I don't want your form, 47. I don't want your formula then, Kirk. I don't want your formula. I don't want to be told how to limit Ohio State's offense to 47 points. So, again, that's what I keep going back to here. They couldn't run it today. I still think the Ohio State offensive line is good. I still think the running backs are maybe closer to fine than good. Like, I, I mean, there weren't, you know, these guys weren't exactly like breaking three tackles or running for 40 yards, right? I mean, there no. kind of wasn't anything there, and so there wasn't anything there. But, like, I'm not I'm not that worried about the run game because it's like, oh, they couldn't run it. I don't know. It didn't, didn't matter. I Like, I was – and if we go back, I, go re- listen to the way I was talking after the Notre Dame game. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't even know if Marvin Harrison Jr. is good. I'm not even sure if Emeka Buka can play in the Big Ten. Has C.J. Stroud completely lost it? I was freaking out after that game because, to me, if they can't throw, it's over. They can't run? Huh? I don't know. They'll just play defense and throw. It's fine. So, like, that's kind of – I just – this is how I want them to, quote, fail. Oh, <laughs> they can't run. Okay. Fine. I don't care. I mean, that's a that's a solid way to present that, you know – Disgusting soup, I guess. If you wanna if you have to pick away for Ohio State the failure should be in the running game, that's fine because the elite players are quarterback and receiver. I can respect that. I just we have been on this hill of so what? The passing game fixes all problems since 2020. And we're right until we're not, and it cost True. Ohio State season. So while I am still sitting on the hill with you. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm standing on that hill that you're sitting on, but I'm not like comfortably relaxed back in my recliner chair, just going, it's okay. CJ's going to have 400 yards and five touchdowns, and it's all good. I am standing up peaking because I don't think the run game can just be chilling at the bottom of the hill. It needs to be halfway up the hill enough to where like they can do it when they need to do it. It just doesn't have to be like the Rutgers game where it's like Mayan Williams has five touchdown runs. Like nobody, no, he didn't need to do that because CJ's throwing it all over the place. There was a moment in this game where I think it was like third and two and they ran it and got nothing. Like they, they, they yes. didn't come close. And then they went for it on fourth down and CJ like rolled left and threw a little out to a Mecca for 13 yards. And I was like, why didn't you just do that on third down? Like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But it felt like they were like, ah, you know, it's third and two. We should try to run. Eh, that didn't work. It's fine. <laughs> we know we can get 13 yards throwing the ball on fourth down. And it was like, ah, eh, we we feel like we should try to run it. We did talk about it. We got a lot of questions about it. Those guys on Buckeye Talk did a whole podcast about third and two. What's your play? And it was like, oh, I guess we should. And then it was like, the play sucked. And then on fourth and two, it was like, that was beautiful and easy. So like, Nathan, to me, that's the encapsulation of like, uh uh-oh, Ohio State got stuffed on third and two. What happened? Nothing. It didn't matter at all because they threw the easiest 13-yard completion on fourth down you ever saw. I hear it. It's just that, again, the (laughs) the staggering ineptitude of Iowa's offense makes it hard to wonder how this would apply if they were playing 
anybody competent. I can't. I I couldn't imagine covering Iowa right now where you have to talk about this offense for twelve straight weeks. It's so bad. I get this is to talk about. This is not boring. <laughs> no, good. yeah. You listen. You did the Lord. You no. did the Lord's. You did the Lord's work today by going over to that press conference. But it's just, it's worse in well, person. The the Iowa reporters have been have been pressing on that too and getting. Yeah, the yeah. Same I'm, I'm not taking. Yeah, I'm not it's, taking away from them. I know. I know. I'm not taking away from them at all. It's just. It's. It's actually worse in person. No, it I, is I, horrible. Yeah, it. I, I. I was not like people listen to us all week. I, I, somebody even texted at us the other at me the other day and was like, "Hey, you need to watch out because you're becoming about the Iowa offense the way Doug is about Rutgers." Like oh. I, okay, like it made me mad to even think about the Iowa offense, and it was worse. It was like I couldn't have had expectations Dude. any lower. My expectations were like a. It was like one of those movies where like the uh, it's like a missile silo. Like my expectations were at the bottom of the missile silo, and then this just they dug under it like a chipmunk. Just do they do they we, dig into the ground? I don't know. We use noodle arm a lot. I don't. I think that's disrespectful to all the noodle arms. That's disrespectful to noodle arm. It is like it's something worse than that. And the problem is they took him out the game, and the backup fumbled the snap and then threw a pick. So it was even worse. It's funny. I put. A, I ran the Kirk Ferentz uh, transcription through a transcription service of his news conference. They were asking about the backup Alex Padilla fumbling the first snap, and Kirk Ferentz's answer was like, "Well, I'm a line coach, so I didn't like that. I know everyone always blames the center, but I'm a line coach. If I look out for the center, and the transcription made it. I'm a life coach." And I was like, I think maybe it would be better if Kirk Ferentz was a life coach right now, because I think everybody associated with Iowa football could use a little a life coaching um okay when we come back i do want to talk about the ohio state defense which dominated the inept iowa offense on saturday next on buckeye talk all right so just to recap iowa gained 158 total yards ohio state gained 360 and nathan as much as we were talking about oh like in the middle of the second third quarter ohio state was only averaging 3.5 yards per play in the end ohio state averaged 5.8 yards per play iowa actually finished averaging 2.7 2.7 yep. yards per play. Like they are, they were last in the nation in offensive yards per game coming in, and they still went like a hundred under that. Like it was, this is unbelievably awful, which we know. But Nathan, I do think like the Ohio State defense to me played like a defense that was like, hey, Ohio State offense, a little clunky. We got it. And I don't think that was only because of the extreme ineptitude of the Iowa offense. I thought Ohio State, yes. Tommy Eichenberg's a missile. Zach Harrison had a really good game. We saw Jordan Hancock and some of the other corners get in there. Like Steel Chambers was running around a little bit. I, I did think we were able to see the very good of the Ohio State defense, even though Iowa stinks against everybody. I thought this was like arguably the best game of Zach Harrison's career. I thought this and was... And he had a, a game earlier this year where we said the same thing. And right. I think and this I, topped that. So it's like, hey, yes. Zach yeah. Harrison's showing up, man. Yes. Uh, I thought Tanner McAllister... It, listen, like a lot of times interceptions are not just the DB making a play. And I thought that was the case here because one like slipped out of receiver's hands and the other one was like thrown right at him. But he's in the right place a lot. Like he's a guy that does his job. 
And this was, um, I know that's an easy bar to clear maybe, but it hasn't always seemed that way the last couple of years for the Ohio State defense. And that it's a guy that knows his assignment and goes out and does it and plays with confidence. And I think that's showing up on the field. I mean, you could argue that if Ohio State, if, if Iowa had actually only been as bad as it usually is, this game might have been closer. If they had been able to get 200 and closer to 250 yards and average more yards per play, they could have converted a couple more first downs. They could have made, you know, something could have changed early in this game. Not that they would have necessarily won, but it wouldn't have gotten out of hand the way it did. And I, Ohio State's defense took them to an even lower level by the way that they attack and how soundly they play. There were no real letdowns, like very few. I know Jim Knowles had some in mind. One of them that he referenced was, I think, when the twos were already in there and Iowa broke up a long run. But like asked after the game, the thing that has him the most excited right now, and it sounds so boring, but again, it's really what people were begging for before he got here was like run fits and guys just doing their job. Guys know where they're supposed to be, and then they go there. It's it's it, Again, that sounds so basic, but that's really like two hugely important things. You know what you're supposed to do, and then you have the ability to get there quickly and do it. And it's such an easy formula that so many teams can't consistently get to, and Ohio State is consistently doing it. I thought for the most of the season, I think the tackles – mainly Mike Hall, have been dominating the pressures and the sacks. I thought the defensive ends as a whole won the day. Yes, I agree. This was probably one of Zach Harrison's better game in his career. I mean, he had a strip sack. He tipped the pass. I ended up getting the interception. That's the second time he's done that this year. Um, JT Tuimaloa got a sack today. Jack Sawyer was getting pressure. Uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste was living in the backfield as well. So I want to, like, I've, I've been hard on him at times. I want to, you know, acknowledge when he had a good day as well. I thought Ohio State, Jim Knowles used today to put some stuff on film that they might use against Michigan because he has been married to the four two five defense. We can do everything out of that against Notre Dame. He never came out of it. And part of that was because like the only tight end he was worried about was Michael Mayer. While against uh, Iowa, they you they throw to their tight ends kind of like exclusively most of the time. So we saw yep. some three linebacker <laughs> looks. We saw some dime package looks where you saw <laughs> we saw uh, Cameron Martinez and Tanner McAllister out there at the same time. But that three linebacker look, when I'm thinking about Michigan and the way Blake Corum is running right now, that feels like that's something they might pull out in, on November 26th. And then a dime package look is like a he said it earlier this week. I've kind of already been planning for Tennessee and teams like that. My offense is kind of built to stop Big 12 offenses. That dime package looks like we something we see get pulled out in a playoff situation. It's almost like that four linebacker look they used a couple of years ago when Justin yeah. Hilliard came in the game. Now the three linebacker look would be the equivalent of that of like, hey, if we're yep. playing like a really good run team, we'll slide Cody Simon in. Here we go. I did think there was the one play, uh, the play where Harrison got the sack and forced the fumble. Right. Like Jack Sawyer beat his guys. Jack Sawyer had his mm-hmm. hand down. And I remember like I initially thought I was like, oh, Jack Sawyer really Jack Sawyer had a nice inside move on yep. the left tackle and got in free. And I was like, wow, that's like Jack Sawyer not playing the Jack hand down in the dirt, just being a rush end. Nice move. And he was about to get a sack and Zach Harrison beat him there. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, like Jack Sawyer was untouched. How did Zach Harrison get to the quarterback first? And it's just as you said, Stephen, it's it's. 
doesn't matter who it is. It's, it's, I think, encouraging to see the defensive ends getting after it a little bit. And so, Nathan, I do think clearly this is an incredibly vulnerable offense, and the result was the Ohio State defense attacked him, which is what you want a defense to do to an incredibly vulnerable offense. They, they put them back on their heels the entire game and let them get basically nothing. Again, I double-checked coming into the game. 131 offenses, 238.8 yards per game. Last, they held them to 158. So they took the worst offense in the country and made them even worse. Yeah, and actually, if you go by the yards per play, Iowa was actually only second worst. I think it was four four oh, yards per play. Look at you. What are you, but, a Ferentz? But, no, but hold on. <laughs> but then Ohio State held them to 60% of what they were averaging as the second worst team in the country. Like, listen, the, what was the hardest, what's the hardest thing for a defense to accomplish in college football in 2022? It's to convince Kirk Ferentz that Spencer Petras needed to come out of a game and Ohio state did it today. Like that's, that was an achievement. That was a major achievement. I asked Noel specifically about Harrison and I kind of gave him, I felt like I was encapsulating what I like, my entire three plus years on Buckeye talk to some extent with the two sentence question I asked him, which was like, listen, Zach Harrison has been playing here and the whole time he's had a pretty high baseline of success, but maybe not elite. However you want to like define that I'm almost, this is almost verbatim how I asked this question. Well, what have you seen from him in terms of progress just in the time you've been here? And cause it seems like he's playing some of his best football. And Knowles said, Listen, like from the time first time I looked at him, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I thought he was a pretty elite player from the first time I got eyes on him. So that could mean that Harrison was just it was not his time as it was, and that but it could also mean though that it's the next step for the whole defense was bringing someone like the way that we've seen Knowles bring the best out of other players. He might also be doing it for Zach Harrison too. Zach was talking about that a little bit, and obviously the whole "Hey, do you still try try to live up to the chase and Nick and Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa standard?" Thing Bob brought up, but the way he answered some of those questions was really telling. He is not trying to be them for the first time. He's doing things that he knows he's good at. He knows how Zach Harrison rushes now, and that's like he you he looks the part, right? Like if you just looked at Zach Harrison as a defensive end, you think that's a top ten pick. Just physically, what he looks like as a from my eye, he passes the eye test more than maybe any of those defensive ends do. It's just the production hasn't always matched because because he passes the eye test so well, he had to learn how to use his body. He had to learn how to okay, I've got extremely long arms. How do I use that to best take advantage of a tackle? How do I use my quickness? How do I use my strength? And it feels like he has now just now figured out how to tap into all of that. And we're seeing him make plays because of that. It just took him four years instead of three. Now, some of that is Jim Knoll shows up with this scheme that has also made these linebackers a threat and these safeties a threat as a pass rusher coming in on blitzes that maybe has freed him up to do some of that stuff. But he has clearly tapped into what's the best version of Zach Harrison look like and how do I utilize that on every single snap? And we're getting the best version of him now. He's not a top 10 pick. He's not going to be the number two pick in the NFL draft like Chase and Nick were, but I would not be shocked if he's a first rounder. Like if he's like the 26th pick in the NFL draft, that wouldn't be that crazy. 
He's not as twitched up as like the Bosa's and Chase. No. I don't think right. Like like get off, get beat a beat a tackle with your speed. But like you know, like Tyquan Lewis was the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. Was the sixty fourth overall pick right at the end of mm-hmm. the second round, and wasn't I don't think quite twitched up like those guys. But like was a you know like really productive defensive end in a second round pick in the NFL. It's like if, I think if Tyquan Lewis, I think Zach is a better athlete than Taekwon Lewis that I, again, yeah. maybe not quite as twitchy, but like in his own way, length, strength, I think does have quickness in other ways. And again, um, there, there is a quite, quite a good package of skills there. It's interesting, Stephen, the idea of like, if it, if it just sort of like took him this long to like realize he's not exactly the kind, ex- same exact athlete as those yeah. guys, but he's, he is a special athlete in his own way. What a thing that would be like, again, if you, what if you get that, the last eight games, you get like high, high, high end Zach Harrison. Like today was like difference making. Oh, that's the kind of game that can help Ohio State get over the top against a really good team kind of game from Zach Harrison today. So I will just say it is one of the craziest things. And I hope we harped on this enough. I don't know if we said this exact stat, Nathan, the idea Ohio State coming in number one in the nation, 8.07 yards per play. Iowa number 130, second to last, 4.09 yards per play. That Ohio State was basically averaging double the yards per play that Iowa was coming in is just remarkable. And they they doubled them up again today. It was just smaller, smaller numbers. Right. Buckeye talk. Remarkable. So... And, and also, it was funny. It's like, you know, I always had the best laid plans. I never get to it. I was asking Ryan Day about punting this week because I was going to just kind of get in this thing of like, the punt is dead. Who cares about the punt? Like, whatever. Like, Ohio. And I still, I was dinking with my punt stat. Um, they had a couple really good punts today. Like, Ohio State had a couple really good punts that mattered. Like, they pinned the, the Eichenberg, right? The Eichenberg pick six was set up by Iowa being pinned back, like, at the three-yard line buy a punt right so i thought it was even like like the little things there of um you know ohio state sort of having to take care of business in different ways they started i think at the iowa seven is that right on that drive so right jesse mirko doesn't usually get you know a lot of attention lately at least last couple games nathan did a pretty good job today yeah, unfortunately, they lost their long snapper, Bradley Robinson, and we'll see how long that's going to be. Oh. But that didn't look like a good outcome for him. He was on crutches on the sideline mm-hmm. after he had to be helped off the field and into the medical tent. Um, just a veteran guy that – another guy that gets slept on a little bit and who we haven't mentioned all season. And it's unfortunate that uh, somebody doesn't get mentioned if until they get hurt. But you don't like to lose proven guys, and he's a proven guy. Okay, so uh, last thing I want to cover here, you mentioned it briefly, Stephen, cornerback situation, Denzel Ward played today, Cam Brown was out today, uh, Denzel Ward and J.K. Johnson started, but we saw Burke. the debut of Jordan Hancock, the long-awaited Jordan Hancock that we've all been waiting for all season. Uh, how much did we play? What was the reaction? What did people say about it? Yeah, it was pretty much a rotation between J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock on that side of the field and uh, they liked what he saw happy to finally get him out there and see if he can keep building from, you know, this typical coach speak. But yeah, I'm from what I saw today. I mean, it's, it was some of the best coverage I've seen from Ohio state cornerback this year. Now I know the bar has been pretty low from what we've saw the last couple of weeks here, but it was pretty quality. Denzel Burke, he was not wearing the big 
big old black cast on his hand anymore. He did have like some tape on his finger because he did have surgery on the thing a couple of weeks ago. So I'm pretty sure he wore something there, but it wasn't this big thing that was impacting him. And I said this during the bye week. I said, I want to see what happens when Denzel Burke gets healthy if he gets out of his own head. And it looks like he's getting out of his own head because he was making some tackles at the line of scrimmage today that he wasn't making the first yep. couple of weeks of the season. So I think he's trending back the right way as far as like his coverage ability, his physicalness, how he attacks the ball. I think he's tr- now that he's healthy, he's trending back in the right way. While also, I think Jordan Hancock's pretty good. J.K. Johnson had a pretty solid day, but – uh, we we kind of hinted at it and teased about it. I think Jordan Hancock's going to be a starting cornerback by the time we get to Michigan. When when we saw that Cam Brown was on the unavailable report again, it I immediately thought it makes it, it means something to me now that Ryan Day earlier in the week was talking about how good J.K. Johnson had practiced. I think they are becoming more and more, and I'm I'm sure they want Cam Brown to be healthy and back and playing well, but he hasn't been either of those things now for the majority of the season. Uh, Mostly, he hasn't been healthy. And they, I think, see a future in front of them where they may have to go try to win this national championship with just class of 2021 guys. It's just going to be Burke and Johnson and, and Hancock. And this was maybe the best outcome in a lot of ways for someone like Hancock who could get on the field and just do his job and run through some things, but without getting challenged that much and having a chance at a what you saw happen to the other cornerbacks earlier this season, which is have some setbacks, have some letdowns, get in your own head, and now have to be catching up with that at the same time you're catching up health-wise. He, I thought, had a, a, a pretty solid game. They all had fairly solid games, but let's face it, Iowa, you, you're always playing with like a... T- another defensive back when you're playing Iowa. They are basically another they are basically a defensive back against themselves. Yeah, it's um I'm just double checking it here. I do think I think it's just I think what's the limit? Is it 70? I think is it 70 that you can travel with Nathan for Big Ten games? It's um, uh like 70, your road roster? It's I think it was 71 or 72. 71. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm double checking. I think I heard this right. Um, Iowa did not bring any receivers. So I think they might've brought extra tight ends and linemen. I didn't even, they did not bring a receiver. I don't, did you see, did they play receivers? Did they put wide receivers on the field? Did you guys notice? So it was, I, it was funny. I was look. I didn't know this. I didn't follow this really during the game, but until I looked at the box score, as we were talking, Ohio state had 11 completions today. I'm sorry. Iowa had 11 completions today, six to Sam Laporta, and then one each to five other guys. <laughs> Sam Laporta, yeah. who is their future NFL tight end. Now, I thought Iowa did some really smart things with him, though, that I was waiting for other teams to do. There was a, it, it, I talked to Steven about this during the game. Like they mm-hmm. split Laporta out wide, like all the way to the end, the way Ohio mm-hmm. State will sometimes do with, used to do with Ruckert, will sometimes even do it with Cade Stover. They get him matched up on J.K. Johnson, who's a redshirt freshman who hasn't played very much. So you've got an NFL tight end, soon to be, against this really young guy who you've got a physical advantage of, and then they threw him the ball. Like, yep. Oh, my God. Like So the, yep. even the even Iowa's offense can figure that out, and I don't know why other teams haven't what done you, that Ferentz? that much. But um, <laughs> come on, hey, let's, every Iowa, time let's, let's keep it that. clean. Let's keep it clear. <laughs> Iowa had two more passing yards and Julian Fleming's touchdown catch. 
they, they did. So Nathan, you like I said, my outrageous prediction was like under ninety passing yards for Spencer Peters. They didn't get the the two quarterbacks combined. I think yeah, had like eighty one. Like literally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you just take receiver, Julian Fleming's explosive play, that's Iowa's passing attack. They they threw <laughs> the receivers had four catches for twenty yards combined. So Laporta had what you said, Nathan. Then Luke Lachey that you wrote about this week, Jim Lachey's son had one catch as a, their second tight end, and then the receivers had four catches for uh, twenty yards. All right. So the Iowa um, offense is terrible. I did go to Iowa post game. I asked Kirk Ferentz like three or four questions about why his son still has a job. I found Gary Barta, the Iowa AD. Afterward, I introduced myself. Um, I said I think it's embarrassing what Iowa is doing right now, and he said, "Do you have a question?" And then I asked him a question, um, asked him three questions, didn't get real, any real answers there. But I wrote a column. Iowa people are liking it right now. Um, so if you guys want to go read that at cleveland.com slash OSU, you can. I just think you have to – like you don't want this happening anywhere. So it's like why do I care? It's like because it's a state football institution. It's a public trust, and you don't get to treat it as a family business. You shouldn't get to treat it as a family business. And if it can happen at Iowa, it can happen anywhere, and it has happened. It has happened at – Happened with Bobby Bowden. Happened with Joe Paterno. It's happening right now with Jim Harbaugh. It's like Michigan's good, so nobody cares, but his kid's on staff. So um, I just I don't think it's the right thing for a state football program to do. The other thing I want to talk about, though, is this is finishing up right now as we record. Nathan, Penn State looks pretty good tonight. They're beating Minnesota 38-10 as we speak here. And I think if we're looking for, oh, what if a team played the level of defense that Iowa played but had a more functional offense, what would that be like for Ohio State? I think, Nathan, that might be exactly what the Buckeyes get in State College next next week. When I think you it's look possible. at like defen- defensive stats and stuff, Iowa's ranked a little higher than Penn State, but Penn State's defense is pretty good. They got boat raced by Michigan, but I think they have some good defensive players, and they're better than Iowa. Sean Clifford's better than Spencer Petras yes. and Mike Yurcich is better than Brian Ferentz and they have Nicholas Singleton and Parker Washington yes. and Michael Tinsley and some guys. So I think we might be get an answer like sort of to the exact question that we've mm-hmm. been asking for the last hour on this podcast. Listen, watching that game last week, it was 41 to 17, the Michigan score, I think over Penn state, it could have been way worse than that. Like that game, Michigan just blew them off the field. So, but as we've gotten away from, I kind of, as you're saying that, I was thinking, well, you know, last year, Michigan State beat Michigan, and then Michigan was still able to turn around and beat Ohio State. The difference there, I think, though, was I remember watching that Michigan State-Michigan game and not coming away from that thinking Michigan State was clearly the better team. I thought Michigan was still maybe the better team, and it was just one of those games that went sideways. I do not think that about Michigan-Penn State. Penn State... Uh, Michigan exposed them a little bit. So I still don't think it's a game. What I think will probably happen is everything you just said is true, and Ohio State will just play better, especially offensively, than it did yeah. today. You, Steven, do you think you were kind of nod? Maybe that's a, a fair comparison here? I think it's a perfect comparison because Sean Clifford is like, he's not a noodle arm. Like yeah. I think he's a little bit better than noodle arm. But he moves that offense enough, and but you, and you combine that with some of the other weapons you have. But uh, we saw Marvin Harrison against Riley Moss today, and I think Moss did a good job, even though Mar- even though Mar- Marvin had some wins. Marvin Harrison against Joey Porter next week is going to be really interesting. What's better than a noodle arm? Is it like a breadstick arm? Oh, that'd be good. Well, no, that's like, a little more structure. That's stiff. That's stiff though. It, it's got to be you know, you got to have a little function. Yeah. 
Um, but, but like a, like a Olive Garden breadstick is stiffer. Like a Fazoli's breadstick is a little softer. So maybe like a Fazoli's. Fazoli's. Breadstick. I prefer yeah. Fazoli's. It's definitely um, Fazoli's arm. A Fazoli arm. I do think, Nathan, and again, I got a, people were thinking that we're hyping up Michigan too much. Um, maybe Michigan Penn State is a little more about Michigan, a little less about Penn State. And maybe Penn State is still pretty good. And Michigan maybe is like quite good. So I don't like so yeah. it's just I, it's hard, right? They're doing the whiteout every I mean, it is a tough environment for Minnesota right now. And Minnesota's play, yeah. playing as backup quarterback because Tanner Morgan's hurt. So there's a lot of things mm-hmm. going against Minnesota right now. But there was a time when we thought Minnesota was the best team in the West and like Penn State is doing whatever it wants to do in this game. So we that doesn't mean I'm. I'm not sitting here thinking like, oh, Ohio State better be on the lookout. Penn State's going to get them next week. I just think if we thought this was a version of half a test for Ohio State against Iowa, it's a it is probably a better version of a similar style of test. That's all. It, that could be true, I think. I mean, Minnesota's, I think, not playing with Morgan, right? Like, don't they have their backup quarterback Correct. in? Because Morgan worked out last week. So, yeah. I mean, it's it, – I don't know. The the Big Ten, it's just really hard to gauge. And I still think at the end of the day, there are two really great teams in this league. And then everybody else has sort of regressed away from that being able to challenge at that level for this year. All right. We'll drop it there. We'll be back on a Monday pod. Nathan and I breaking down some stuff. Uh, you go read cleveland.com slash OSU for a bunch of coverage about this game. Steven and Nathan will have fresh stuff up on Sunday morning. We'd love to have you try the text at 614-350-3315. We'll have rants this week. I think we'll get back to a full Q&A this week to build up to this Penn State game. The whiteout just looks good, man. Right? They're doing the blimp shot right now. It just looks good in the dark. Interesting game. Interesting game. It's one of these. It, it's just hard. It was funny. Like Joel Klatt after the game, after we had a you know nice con- friendly conversation, as friends do in the Aww. elevator, as friends do, he like tweeted something like, Sort of like hard to get a read on Ohio State. They didn't play their best, but they also dominated Iowa. Both things can be true. And it was sort of like, welcome to boring, good Ohio State. Welcome to like trying to figure out how to cover this team. Like, I don't know. It feels like it maybe wasn't that great. It's like, oh, they won by 44. And oh my God, like Kirk Ferentz had never, I think Kirk Ferentz never gave up 54 points before. And it was like, that wasn't even the good Ohio State. Like, it's just, this is like, it's funny when like people drop in and are like, I don't know what to make of these guys. And it's like, welcome to covering this team. They destroy people while looking kind of eh. Like, I don't even know what what is that. It's what they do. But I'll tell you, back in the day when the Trestle teams were kind of eh, they beat like Miami of Ohio 20 to 13. So the idea that we have entered the world of eh is 54-10. That's a pretty good eh. So we'll leave it at that. We'll have a lot more to talk about this week. For now, go read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs> <laughs>